Good to see everybody back this evening. Uh, we began several weeks ago looking at some of the parables that Jesus told. Uh, it's been quite a while uh, between family life groups and we had a couple guest speakers and then Mark spoke last Sunday night because I had a meeting Sunday afternoon. Wasn't sure I was going to uh, be back in time, so I appreciate him doing that. So it's been a while since we uh, looked at the parables uh, but we started off with the wise and foolish builders. Remember that? The rain come tumbling down and all of that. Then we looked at the parable of the sower or the soils, depending on how you uh, look at that. Then we looked at the parable of the weeds and the wheat, which was a little difficult one to kind of think about and grasp. Then we looked at the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price and having to do with the kingdom. And then the last one we looked at was the parable of the 11th hour workers or the workers in the vineyard. The one where, you know, they just didn't think it was fair that those who worked one hour got paid the same as those who worked all day long. And as we said, when we talked about that, I can sympathize. I understand that feeling. But like we said this morning, I'm glad that God does not look at it the same way. And that he treats us all the same when it comes to our salvation. Jesus also used many of his parables to prepare for the judgment. Especially towards the end of Matthew and the other gospels. We have those parables about being ready. uh, And things like that. And one of the ones we're going to look at tonight kind of begins that a little bit. This is a very short parable. Go ahead, Jamie. It's the parable of the two sons. And when we read the parable itself in just a minute, it doesn't take long to read it. And it really doesn't take a whole lot to understand it. But it is kind of important that we look at it in the context of what was going on in the greater conversation that Jesus was having with the people around him. So we're in Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to begin in verse 23. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? So it was about, you remember Jesus cast out the, you know, the, the money changers at the temple and, and some other things that were going on. My guess is that the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11 that we don't have in Matthew may have been in the middle of all of this. And so we have all these things going on, both the teachings that Jesus was teaching and the things that he was doing. And so they questioned his authority. By what authority are you saying these things and who gave you this authority? Verse 24, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it from men? So Jesus says, I tell you what, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. I'll tell you where I get my authority if you just answer me. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it simply a... You know, something made up by man. They discussed it amongst themselves and said, If we say from heaven, 
he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? If we say from men, we are afraid of the people for all hold that John was a prophet. So as often happens, Jesus turns the table on the ones who are trying to trap him. Wow, by what authority are you doing these things? Jesus said, I'll tell you what, I'll answer that. If you answer me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? They're in a quandary. If we say it was from heaven, then he's going to ask us, well, then why weren't you baptized by John? It says, you know, why didn't you believe him? But that's the inference there. Then why weren't you baptized by John? And if we say that it was from men, we got a whole group of people who believed what John was teaching and who had gone out to him and were baptized. Many were part of the religious leaders. Many weren't. They didn't. The main ones didn't seem to believe in him. Remember that John called them a generation of vipers and snakes, just like Jesus did a little later on. So then it says they answered him. Oh, parents, does that not drive you nuts? When you ask your children, why did you do that? Ooh. But thinking back on it, as when I was a child, and if you really think about it, when you, how many times as a teenager or a child is the real answer? Ooh. We do a lot of dumb things when we're kids for which we have no reason for doing them. And by the way, just so you know, we don't get any better as adults. Sometimes as adults, we do things and go, hmm. And so Jesus said, well, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? And they go, well, we don't know. We don't know. We're not that smart. We're not, you know, maybe the religious elite that we thought we were. Now, this is not really what they're saying, but that's the implication of what they're saying. It's kind of like when the Pharisees were grilling the blind man. Remember that? They're grilling the blind man and asking him who, who made him see and, and, you know, where did he come from and all these things. And, and the blind man basically says, I don't know. You're the religious leaders. You're the ones that are supposed to know that. And they plead ignorance again. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Now, I, just, I love that. Because I, I, there is something inside of me that says Jesus would want to defend himself. Jesus would want to tell him by whose authority he's doing these things. But he says, you answer me this question. Well, they wouldn't answer his question. And so true to his word, he didn't answer their questions. Wow, that's kind of ironic to me a little bit. That Jesus would not tell them by what authority. Maybe it's because he realized that they weren't being genuine in either asking the question or answering the question that he asked them. And so maybe he felt that they didn't deserve the legitimate response. Maybe he also knew that if he told them, they weren't going to accept it anyway. And we have kind of a longer version of this. A lot of times in the book of John where they challenge his authority and he tells them, well, my authority comes from my father. My authority comes from the one who sent me. They don't like that. Not one little bit. 
So maybe that's why he refuses to answer their question. So it's in the midst of all of this that Jesus then tells this short parable. What do you think, he says? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, remember, these are the same people he'd just been confronting. I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now this parable, in many ways, is the reader's digest version of the parable of the prodigal son. Right? The parable of the prodigal son is this long, drawn-out version of the son who said, I'm not going to go. The son who said, give me my inheritance, and he went out and squandered it, but eventually returned. And the other son, who seemed to be doing the right thing, he stayed at home, he, he did what the father wanted, but deep down in his heart... He wasn't at all what his father wanted. Now, in Luke 15, that takes a long kind of, you know, Jesus tells that longer story. But essentially, that's what we have here in the story of the two sons. And while Jesus specifically is talking to the religious leaders, now, you know, we have to think a minute. Now, which which of the two sons are these religious leaders that Jesus is talking to? Well, they are the second son. The one who said, I'll do what you want me to do, but then didn't. They'd been following the Jewish law. They'd been the leaders. They'd been, you know, the priests and all these different things. And they were kind of doing what God wanted. But now they've turned their backs on God. They turned their backs on John the Baptist and they turned their backs on Jesus. The tax collectors and the prostitutes represent the first son who said, no, I'm not going to go work. But eventually came to John and repented and did the things that John called them to do. And so while specifically the parable may not, we think, apply to us, there are definitely some overlapping principles that apply to us today. So this evening, I want to look at the sons. And how they represent people in the world. But before we look at the two sons that are mentioned, we have to look at the two sons that are not mentioned. And you say, wait a minute. What two sons that aren't mentioned? Well, that's because they're not mentioned. But if we look at this parable as essentially the overall response of mankind to God or mankind to Jesus, as the case may be, 
There are two implied sons that are not mentioned. The first is the son who said, I will go and went. Right? He's kind of an implied son. The son who said, I will go and went. In the parable of the soils or the sower, that would represent the good soil. That, you know, the, the grew and, and, and multiplied and, and did all the things that he was supposed to do. In our world, that would, that would in many ways represent a lot of us, in a sense. We've talked about this before. Those of us who, who grew up in the church, who grew up knowing about God whose parents were faithful and brought us to Bible class, brought us to cradle roll, brought us every time the church doors were open. I'm talking about my own experience. I've told you before, I never, ever, one time, woke up on a Sunday morning and wondered if we were going to church. It It just wasn't a question. I didn't wonder on Wednesday nights if we were going to church. We were going. I didn't wonder on Sunday nights if we were going to church. We were going. We were having a gospel meeting. I didn't wonder on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I didn't wonder if we were going to church. We were going. And that's the way that I was raised. That's the background that I have. That's the, the, the way I came to know God. And you know, there was a time in my life when I almost, ashamed isn't the word, but cheated, maybe, in a sense, because I didn't have that, that huge conversion experience that others have. People who lived contrary to God's will, people who lived out there in the world, people who had all this stuff, and then they came to Christ and they have this whole testimony that they can share with others. And there was a part of me at one time that thought, I missed out on that. Isn't that dumb? But it's kind of, you know, missed out on that. But the older I get, the more I absolutely appreciate the foundation my parents laid for me. I appreciate the fact. Now, understand, now we've talked about this before. Don't get me wrong. You're with me, right? That even though that's the way I was raised, I was lost just like anybody else was lost until I was saved, right? You're with me on that. It's not what I'm saying. The experience, I guess, is what I'm talking about. But I appreciate now the fact that I didn't have to find God by some, you know, difficult road. I appreciate what my parents did for me. I appreciate that. And the one of the sons not mentioned is the one who from early on said, yes, I'll do what you want me to do and continued doing what God wanted him to do. And if you're in that situation, you got to make sure that you continue to do what God wants you to do. That's what we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews. Now, the second son 
that is not mentioned. You with me? Y'all catching on? Y'all figured out who it is? How many know who the second son is? Yeah, all right. The second, I'm not going to call on anybody in case you're wrong. (laughs) And it could be me that's wrong, so you know. The second son is the one who said, I'm not going, and didn't. Said, I'm not going, and he didn't. Now, in the parable, parable of the sower, that would be represented by the, by the seed that fell on the hardened path. Never even got a shot. And boy, do we have a lot of those folks in our world today, don't we? A lot of folks in our world today who have absolutely no use for God, no use for religion, no use for morality, no use for anything that even reeks of religion. They're not going to listen to what God says. They don't believe in God. Some of them may kind of believe in God, but they don't care. They're not going to do what God says. And they're going to live their whole lives like that. And they're not ever going to change. Now we can hope, we can pray, we can teach, we can beg, we can do all those things. But we've seen it in our lives enough to know there are some people who just are not going to listen. I think Jesus was dealing with some of these people here. The ones he was talking to. He would not have been so curt. He would not have been so abrasive with people that he knew would listen. People he knew whose hearts were open. Now, the difference between Jesus and us is he can read people's hearts and we can't. But there are those in the world who will never accept their own sinfulness, never accept the consequences, therefore will never accept the wonderful grace of God. They spend a lifetime in opposition to God's will and are controlled by Satan and the forces of this world. We can't read those verses without understanding that Satan is powerful and that he is in control of a lot of things on this earth. And there are certain people who want to align themselves to him. Why? Because it just seems good to them. Just feels good. It feels right. I can do whatever I want to. A man by the name of Eflagard Smith wrote a book one time entitled, When Choice Becomes God. And his argument basically was that that is where we are in America today. Choice has become our God. I am free to do whatever I want to do. And you, not you or anybody else, can tell me otherwise. And certainly not God. So there's two sons that aren't mentioned, but are implied, I think, in this parable. And now we'll get to the two that are mentioned. And the first one is the I won't, but did son. This son represents those who have spent a significant amount of time living opposed to God, yet eventually have yielded themselves to his will. When I think about this, one person that comes to my mind immediately is Saul, who becomes Paul. That's a little different, sort of, in the sense that all along, Saul thought he was following God. Saul thought he was doing the right thing. But in fact, as he was going out and persecuting the church, 
as he was going out and destroying homes, as he was going out and arresting mothers and fathers and leaving children parentless, while he was going out doing all these things, he was opposing God. When he realized what he'd been doing, it was an immediate change. And he began serving God. And he never looked back. The message is simple. God accepts you now. Wherever you are, whatever you have done in the past, however lost you may think you are, however bad you were, God says, that's okay. We're going to start over. We're going to start new. Isn't that kind of the story of the 11th hour workers that we looked at? What? You mean they come in at the 11th hour? They goofed off all day long? They come in at the 11th hour and they get paid the same? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty cut and dry. These people are not getting into the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Whoa. Whoa. You mean to tell me that some of the people in the church at Corinth used to be involved in all these things that are mentioned? It's exactly what Paul says. King James, I think, says, and such were some of you. But, and remember when we were in the Old Testament? You probably don't. But we were. And what we found out in the Old Testament is most of the time, but was a bad thing. So and so, especially in the kings, followed God, but he did not break down the high places or whatever. This is a good one. Neither the swindlers in on all these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You used to live your life totally against God. Feeding your own fleshly desires. Doing what you chose to do, doing what you thought was right, doing what society and the world said was okay. But now, now you've come to God. And all that's been taken away. All that's been washed away. You've been justified and sanctified and washed in the blood of Christ. Nobody has strayed so far. Or sunk so low. You have not committed so many horrible sins. That God cannot. And will not. Accept you. If you come to him.
And the most amazing thing of it all is, not only will He accept you, but He will use you for His glory. So, if you're in that category, I ask you to think about repenting and humbling yourselves before God and committing your life to sin. There may be many regrets, there may be many consequences, but there is also forgiveness and hope and strength and purpose when we come to God. And that then leaves us with the last son. The I will, but didn't son. He could represent most of us in here. Most of us in here, especially on a Sunday night, came back. Most of us in here have accepted Christ. We have had our sins washed. We've been justified. We've accepted the invitation of God. We believed in Jesus Christ. We've responded in faith through the way that God has asked us to do it. We are those who at one time have said, yes, but are we living up to that commitment? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. Not everyone who says they accept the invitation. Not everyone who, who says they're following me. Not everyone who, whatever will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who are truly doing the will of my Father, those who are truly obeying my teachings, those are the ones who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was serious when he talked about commitment. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Only he who hates his father, mother, son, or daughter is fit for the kingdom. Nobody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. As parents, we know how it feels when we ask or tell our children to do something. And they tell us that they've done it. And we go in to find it hasn't been done. Imagine... God's reaction when he's told us to do certain things and yet we and we say we're going to do it and yet we don't these are people who have accepted the invitation you know Jesus told two similar parables one the banquet and the other one the wedding banquet or the great banquet or whatever and it's the one where you know he, he, he invites people to come. And they accept the invitation. But then when it's actually time for the feast. Some of them just ignored it. altogether, And eventually actually beat up. The people who came. To tell them that it was time for the feast. And then the others you remember. The story in Luke. Is where they began to make excuses. One by one. For why they couldn't come. I bought some oxen. I bought some land. I got married. Can't come. Accepted the invitation initially. But then we're not ready when it was time 
to actually come. We do not want to fall into that category. It's about growing closer to God every day. Understanding his will for our life. Offering our lives as a spiritual sacrifice. None of us want to be the, considered the son who said yes. But didn't do what the father wanted. Very short but powerful parable. Two sons, the ones that are mentioned, very different initial responses, very different outcomes. Whatever situation you're in tonight, I encourage you to be the one that whether you said no to begin with or whether you said yes to begin with, that you say yes to doing what God wants us to do. So we'll be ready when he comes back. If you're here this evening in some way we can help, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.